Our scripture reading this morning taking, taken from John's first epistle, 1 John chapter 1. Uh, we've finished, at least uh, as I've been here uh, with you, uh, we've finished working through the Beatitudes. And um, I know we're reading uh, the, <laughs> the first part of chapter 1 of 1 John. My intention, at least at this point, is not to... Um, Preach through First John. This is my explanation to you. I can see, just hit me now. You can maybe anticipate I was going to do that. I'm not. Um, rationale in terms of, uh, I mean, who knows um, how long I'll have opportunity to, to be here and to be uh, preaching regularly for you and with you. Um, but a number of years ago, um, if, I can, if you can indulge me for a second, um, a number of years ago, this is at Grace, um, we determined to uh, just looking at the state of things uh, in the world, in the church, and all of those kind of things, uh, to spend a significant time focusing on fundamentals. Um, the more complex our day and age gets, the more issues that are set before us, um, the more important it is um, to make sure that we are well grounded and reminded uh, of the fundamentals um, of the faith of. Christianity of um, you know our, our walk and uh, the Beatitude series of course uh, functions in that way um, here as we think about uh, the theme this morning it actually comes from that emphasis it was I first dealt with this um, again it might have, it was in 2019 years ago a couple years ago and um, it, it is coming out of that idea of just fundamentals today we deal with a the topic of fellowship. We talk about fellowship, um, and we talk about having fellowship and, in, and encouraging fellowship. And uh, just a reminder this morning uh, from, I can't think of a better passage uh, than the one we are going to read together of this, the reality of our of fellowship. What is it? Um, and uh, so we're, we're looking at that theme Again, under the broader understanding of fundamentals, just getting back to basics. And uh, so we're going to read together First John chapter 1, um, and I'll be focusing on the first four verses and the particular theme of fellowship. So let us read uh, God's word together. First John 1, beginning at verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we look upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father, and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete." This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. 
That is the word of our God. So as we think on this theme um, of fellowship, um, I'm going to focus with you on the first four verses of John's first epistle. Um, why this becomes, I think, such a fundamental um, text for this theme of fellowship is because if you continue to read through First John, um, that is this theme of fellowship is one of the main themes. Um, there are so many, you know, different emphases that uh, get looked at from this epistle. But if you were to go through and you were to think about how often John talks about fellowship in this epistle, um, he here in these verses this morning, he is setting the foundation of that fellowship, and then he is going to refer to it all the way through his epistle. He's done it already. We're not going to deal with it. Uh, but even in the passage, the verses 5 to 10 that we read together, he begins again to talk about fellowship. Uh, it is a main theme of First John, this idea, reality of fellowship. And this, these first four verses of John's first epistle, uh, he is setting the stage for that theme, he is bringing us to the very essence, the center, uh, of the foundation of fellowship. And as we think about fellowship as a, as a concept, um, it's one of those words uh, that is used often. Um, if we are part of a church in the Western world, we are undoubtedly going to use the term fellowship. We are going to talk about fellowship. We are going to talk about having fellowship. We are going to attach that, that word fellowship to events and to things, fellowship meals, fellowship. We use the term fellowship. It's one of those words that we use, uh, like covenant, and you know, um, we use the words quite a bit. We use fellowship a lot. Um, and it is, I think, incumbent upon us uh, from time to time to be reminded, again, back to basics, of what we actually mean when we talk about fellowship. What is it, essentially? And then how does it fit into um, life together? And here th this morning, I want to deal with that on a fundamental level, this concept, this theme of fellowship, just as a reminder to us all, uh, as, as John sets this before us. When we are talking about fellowship, again, by way of introduction, when we are talking about fellowship, um, theologically, if you want to connect this with something, we are talking about the communion of the saints. You want to go to a chapter in the confession, uh, the back of the hymnal, and you want to read theologically, we are talking about the communion of the saints when we are talking about fellowship, what fellowship truly is. It's glorious when we take it back to its foundations. We are talk, It is glorious in its implications. Um, I hope to touch on this with you this morning. It is potent, actually, in its motivation, understood properly. It's potent in a motivation to godly living, and especially to godly living together. Uh, again, you can start hearing fellowship, right? And so I want to, it's a fairly, fairly simple structure this morning. I actually want to give you two principles, two points, two principles, and then the last point is going to be a challenge. And so if you think about this, the two principles of what fellowship truly is, and then a challenge, thinking about the fruit of that fellowship. What does that mean for us uh, in a, again, in somewhat of a general way? We can apply it to particulars. 
Um, but two, two principles and then a challenge taken from John's um, words, opening verses here in 1 John 1. I want to begin one of those principles <clears throat> dealing with, and I'll, I'll bring you to the point of, of making the principle state, or statement at the end of this point. I want to start by looking at the essence of true fellowship. What is the essence of true fellowship? What is at the, the center? Uh, you can say it that way. What is the foundation? When you kind of boil everything else off, what do you have? Starting with the kernel. Uh, so often, again, we get in all of these things, we get so used to talking about it as an outworking that we grow fuzzy in terms of where does this all grow from. Uh, what is the essence of true fellowship? John begins this whole theme of fellowship, and it shouldn't be a surprise to us. When, whenever I say to you, whenever we are dealing with essence or, or center or foundation, if we don't take it back to God in everything, here's a, here's a tip. If we don't take it back to God, we're wrong. It's that simple. He, God is the center of everything. I don't care what it is we're talking about. It's not a surprise that John takes us back to God himself as we think about definitions, as we think about foundations. He's talking, when he's talking about fellowship, he takes us back to the triune God, to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. In verse 3, as he's introducing this, he says, That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, which we will get to. And indeed, here he's getting at his own understanding of his under his definition of fellowship, and indeed our fellowship, before we start talking about how you and I relate, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. John, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is penning these words. He says, you want to talk about fellowship? You want to talk about the relationship that we have with you as he's writing this epistle? As you want to talk about all of those things? Let's take it back to the heart. Let's take it back to the essence, the center. Our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. True fellowship can only be found in the one true living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is the only place whenever, whatever it is we are talking about when we are talking about fellowship, the only place that this can be found, the only thing that this can truly grow from, whatever it is that we're talking about, is from God himself. Outside of God, there is no possibility of fellowship as we define it properly. You see, man was made for this. Man was made for this fellowship with God. We are image bearers of God. We have the capacity to know God, to be able to have fellowship with him. Now, this is profound. If you think about the implications of us here this morning talking about having intimate and personal fellowship with the triune God. We have been made for this purpose. Unlike any other aspect of God's created order, we are unique 
in the ability to have fellowship with God. Now, what this looks like is huge in terms of its implications, and I'm not about to unpack all of that this morning. What does this look like for us as human beings to have fellowship with God? What is John talking about when he says that our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ? What does that even mean? What does that look like? Well, it's interesting, again, where our confessional standards can can help us a great deal. And I'm not going to go to the communion of the saints chapter, though I would encourage you this afternoon, um, read it. It's, it's glorious in its implication. I want to take us actually to chapter two uh, in the confession. You, you can look there if you want. You can just listen. I'm not going to be quoting it extensively. Chapter two is our, the, the chapter dealing with God. It, it takes us back to the very center of our theology. God himself Right? Dealing with God. Chapter 2, paragraph 1. Who God is, his attributes, all of those things, again, wonderful. Paragraph 2 is where I want to focus on, and even the first phrase of paragraph 2. Paragraph 2 talks about God's relationship to the universe. So God in all of his glory and splendor, all of his attributes, infinite in nature, How does this God relate to the universe he created? And the first phrase in that paragraph, you've heard me at least touch on one of these before, but the the, the phrase that that is made here is stated here that God has all life, glory, goodness, and blessedness in and of himself. If we want to talk about what having fellowship means, Without getting lost in all of the details, what does it mean to have fellowship with God? We have to go back to think about the implications of this phrase, that God has in and of himself all glory, goodness, blessedness, and life. Simply put, as you think about this, outside of God, there is no other place to find these things. There is no other source of life and glory and goodness and blessedness than in God. It's not as if this is the best option and then we have a lot of other lesser options. There is no other option in this world. As we think about life, right? Paul says, Acts 17, 28, in him we live and move and have our being. We can't talk about life. We can't even begin to understand what life is unless we take it back to God. He is life. You have people, again, struggling, striving for these things. It goes back to image, right? Whether you are a believer or not, people strive for this. Think of the day and age, the culture in which we live, right? Longing and living for health and youth and longevity. Doing whatever it takes. In a wrong way, They are striving after life. The futility is that they won't find it in those things. It's not there. It's a fool's errand. You think about glory, where it says that God has all glory, tying it to the idea of worth, 
God is all glorious. He is infinite in his worth. But you think again on the world in which we live. You think about people as they live day to day. How we are drawn to want to give worth to something. You can talk about people with money. And I'm not talking about the individual with all the money. I'm talking about all the people wanting to describe worth to the person with all the money. We can talk about music fame or acting fame. We can talk about you know the, the whole internet and, and social media. and fo- We even call them followers. How many followers do you have? Striving after ascribing worth like little puppy dogs, right? Where can I give my worth? Where can I ascribe my worth? We are reminded here that that is a fool's errand. There is only one place where glory is truly engaged with and seen and experienced. There is only one place where we can be satisfied in placing our absolute worth, and it is God himself. You think about goodness. God is the very essence of goodness. He is the definition. He is the reality of goodness. But you think about the world in which we live, and we sometimes we have the false impression that everyone that is outside of the Christian faith is actually seeking after evil things. I would say to you, it all depends on how you look at it. I would say to you that it is very rare to find someone who is actually consciously, self-consciously seeking after evil. Very few. Most people under a sense of delusion and blindness are seeking what they think is good. You think about, you know, things that happen in the world in which, the, you know, catastrophes and where does all, you know, people are just willing to give. Tsunamis and, and all of those things. Seeking to save the planet, seeking to save, save this, save that. The good causes, they're not seeking, they're going, oh, let's see how evil we can be. They are striving after good. They're trying to do the right thing from what they think is the right thing. It's a fool's errand. Because there is only one place where that can be satisfied, and it is in God, who is alone is good. And then you have the concept of blessedness. We talked about this. This is the one where I did mention it. With We talk about it at the beginning of the Beatitudes. Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. There is only one place that true blessing can be found, and that is in God. As we define blessedness, satisfaction or true rest or peace or fulfillment, however you want to define that happiness, right? We ask questions. We have polls. What's the happiest nation in the world? Who's, who's the happiest? People are always seeking after these things, a state of blessedness, a state of peace. A state, this is what it is to be human. And you have this question and these people striving after these things. If only I had, then blessedness. Oh, you only find this in God himself. He is the only source. In him is life and glory and goodness and blessedness. God himself is all of these things. And John 
captures this. Why is this important for us to think through and to understand? John captures this whole reality in his use of the word life and eternal life. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. That light or this life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. He's talking there about the full enjoyment of life. John chapter 17, the same John in his gospel, verse 3, as he's recounting Jesus' high priestly prayer. You remember what Jesus prays. And this is eternal life. You ramp this whole question uh, up to its, its pinnacle. This is what eternal life is. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's the very definition of life eternal. Is the intimate personal knowledge of God, the one who has all life and glory and goodness and blessedness in and of himself. We still use the term life like this. We use the word life. If I say to you, we're talking about the question of quantity of life, you'd say to me, okay, you're asking the question that people ask, and it's still all around us, you know, what is the life expectancy of people in Canada? And we're in the 80s. The the general life expectancy, the average. We're asking a quantity question. What is the number? What is the average age? But if you were to go to uh, the hospital, if you were to go to any kind of institution like that, and you read their charter on the wall, you will come across, and in many other places as well, you will come across the, the, the term quality of life. They're not talking about quantity. They're talking about quality. They're talking about something more than just a number. They're talking about more than how old are you. They're talking about issues of satisfaction and contentment and all of these things we've been wrestling with, striving after quality of life. Man has been created to be satisfied and to be fulfilled at rest, at peace. We have been created for that. We know that we have been created for that. We long for that. The reality here is that it is only found when we have fellowship with God. There is no other place that we can have this than in God himself. And so John here says, our fellowship, if you want to talk about fellowship, our fellowship is with the Father. And with his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this leads us then to, you can guess the principle. Principle number one is we're talking about, if we're talking about fellowship, whatever else we mean, when we are talking about fellowship, we are talking about the intimate personal knowledge of the one true living God. Outside of that, fellowship is impossible. You can't have it. It starts with God. Closely, intimately connected to that is dealing with the means of true fellowship. So we look at the essence. It's God. It's it's the knowledge of God. The means, the million-dollar question. How is it that we can have fellowship 
with God. How is it that John can say that our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ? It's grand enough, it's, it's overwhelming enough to speak about God in his glory and in his blessedness and in his goodness. The real goosebumps, right? The, the real impact, the, the thing that, you know, if we come to grips with it is overwhelming is when we look at what John says concerning how this fellowship is established. How is this fellowship communicated? How is it that we can actually have fellowship with God himself? And the whole epistle begins, that which, we, that was, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard with our ears, which we have seen with our eyes, <clears throat> which we look upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. How is this fellowship established? How is this fellowship communicated? How is this fellowship possible? As we think about our fallen nature, our sin, the world in which we live, the train wreck that it is, how is it possible that we have fellowship with the one true living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? He says, let me tell you, That this life, this fellowship, this contentment, this fulfillment, this reality, actually we have heard with our ears, we have seen with our eyes, we have actually touched it. John as an apostle, we have touched it, we have held the hand of the one who is this. And it is the person of Jesus Christ. It is the glorious Redeemer, the Savior, not just one who facilitates kind of the deal. He is the one who communicates this fellowship to us. We have seen this life. We have heard this life. We have touched this life. It is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the Father in verse 2. Right? As you read that, this life was made manifest and we have seen it, testified to it. Proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. It was this very one that the Father sent in order to establish this fellowship, in order to make it possible for fallen human beings, sinful creatures who were made to experience life in the full, who had given it up because of sin, he sends his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in order to reestablish this fellowship. John 14, verse 9, again the same John in his gospel, records the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, whoever has seen me, Jesus says, whoever has seen me, has seen the Father. Everything that Jesus did, everything that Jesus does, is to manifest this life, to facilitate this fellowship. Every word as our mediator, every action as our mediator. He's died. He conquered sin and death and Satan. He lives and reigns to continue to manifest this fellowship. 
He sent forth his spirit in order to indwell all those who come to him in faith. And what is the spirit's role to take the things of the Lord Jesus Christ and make them known? As we think of what Christ has done, as you think about what Christ is doing, as you think about what Christ is going to do, it has all been given in order to facilitate this grand, glorious reality of the personal, intimate knowledge of God. From the once-for-all sacrifice for sin through his ongoing work of the mediator to that glorious day where we will, he will usher us into heaven. It all revolves around this glorious thing. And the thing that the very reality that connects us to this fellowship, to this Jesus, to this one who manifests it, is faith. The apostles, as they walked with this Jesus, they can say we heard him with our ears, we saw him with our eyes, we actually touched him. That same Jesus is now at the right hand of the Father in heaven. But does that mean that we have no access to him? Of course not. We look to him by faith. As we behold Jesus Christ by faith, there we have fellowship with God. There we have life, glory, goodness, and blessedness communicated to us. It is only and always through the Lord Jesus Christ, now by faith, one day. This is where you're, you just think about the goosebumps of this reality. One day, we will also be able to say, in a different capacity, but we will also be able to say, as John said, our ears hear, our eyes see, our hands are going to touch. Our faith will become sight. Fellowship. And so John says, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our second great principle here as we think about fellowship, whatever else we're going to talk about, is that we have fellowship with God only through the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other means. There is no other avenue. You can't have fellowship outside of God and you can't have God outside of Jesus Christ. Plain and simple. There is no true fellowship outside of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't fabricate that. You can't make that up. You can't force that. When you have fellowship with God in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, now we start talking about the fruits of fellowship. Now we start talking about what that looks like as it manifests itself in our lives in the church, in the world. And again in verse 3, as we think about the, the fruits so of the two principles, you can't have fellowship outside of God and you can't have God outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. The challenge dealing with the fruit of fellowship, what does that mean? What does that look like? Right, And so verse 3 He's making this glorious statement of the, the, the incarnation of this fellowship in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. In, in verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. And so you've got to think what John is saying. Listen, we've, we know this Jesus. We know this God. We have fellowship. And this is the Jesus that we are proclaiming to you. Right? We proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. 
You see his logic. You see what he's saying. We're proclaiming to you the one that we have seen and touched and heard. We are proclaiming to you the Lord Jesus Christ so that you can have fellowship with us because our fellowship is with the Father. When you have two people both in fellowship with God in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a bond of fellowship between these two people in Jesus Christ. It is a reality. You have two people savingly united to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ in fellowship with God in him. There is a a connection. There is a relationship established between those two people in Jesus Christ. Here we're talking about the communion of the saints. It is a a fact. And it is this bond in Jesus Christ that facilitates true biblical fellowship. It's captured in the words, so that. John says there in verse 3, we're proclaiming to you the person of the Lord Jesus Christ so that you can have fellowship with us. It all hinges on that reality, the gospel the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, this is where we need to just kind of be reminded, right, of of foundations. We so often loosely use the term fellowship. And we will associate it with, and and hear me out here, we we talk about, you know, after church, we're going to have fellowship. You're going to have coffee and cookies. We talk about fellowship meals, and you might have people over. You might talk about fellowship at ho- in having hospitality. We might have fellowship uh, on you know um, joint projects, uh, work days, that kind of thing. Absolutely, we talk. We I'm not saying we're using it wrongly, but we have to be reminded of what it is that we are talking about. These things, whether it's drinking coffee, eating cookies, having a meal together, whatever it might be, these things might be very useful in facilitating fellowship. Absolutely. Bringing people together. Absolutely. Wonderful in facilitating fellowship. But they are not fellowship. True fellowship is sharing together in the fruit of of the fellowship that we have together with God in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is sharing together our common faith, our Savior. It is speaking about Him. It is meditating on Him together. It is encouraging one another in Him. Now, you can do that with a coffee. You can do that without a coffee. You can do that actually, interestingly, as you think about um, the scriptural uh, example of these things. You can do that in prison. You can have wonderful times of fellowship with fellow believers in prison. Think about Paul and Silas. Was it an optimum circumstance? No. Did the circumstance alter their ability to have fellowship together in their Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ? Absolutely not. You might have experienced this. It's a sad reality around the the deathbed of of a, a believer. You can have wonderful times of fellowship around a deathbed. As sad as that is to dwell upon the goodness and grace of God in the Lord Jesus Christ, understanding where that person is going to go, sharing in, you know, singing a doxology together. Wonderful times of fellowship. Terrible circumstance. 
You see why it's essential for us to make sure we understand the definition before we start applying it around. Fellowship is centered on our common faith. It is possible to talk to people. It is possible to spend time, significant amount of time, in a room full of people who profess to be Christians and be starved for fellowship. It is possible. No one talking about the Lord. No one dwelling upon the goodness of God. No one encouraging each other in the faith. We talk about everything but. We can be starved for fellowship even though we're in a room full of Christians. On the flip side, we can enjoy the sweetest times of fellowship in the most difficult circumstances. The challenge to all of us, to the church at large, but here as a congregation, is that we continue to work on our fellowship. Sunday mornings after the service, in our get-togethers during the week, a wonderful time, wonderful opportunity, prayer meeting this week, Wednesday night. Gathering together, common faith, common Lord, seeking his face together. That we actually work on our fellowship. Encouraging one another in our walk with the Lord. In our experience of our God in all of life and glory and goodness and blessedness. As we look together to the Lord Jesus Christ. True fellowship. Back to basics. The very foundation of who we are in Christ Jesus. And why that ought to change the way that we interact with each other. We love the same Lord. We serve the same God. We enjoy the same blessings. That is where the world is going to start looking and saying, wow, this is different. Right? I leave you with an example. It's one I use often. It struck me right from the time I heard it. Um, Epistle to Diognetus, an early church uh, post-apostles, early church letter that was found. And you get one side of the story. But in that letter, it was found actually wrapping fish (laughs) is where the letter was found. Um, Pulled it out and said, this is an ancient manuscript. And in that letter, um, early church, the question that was asked was, why do you love each other so much? What, what, what possibly could bind you together like I'm seeing? And the response, of course, we get only the response. We know the question. The response of, was, let me introduce you to the one who binds us all together. You want to know why we are, why we, why we act like we act, why we think like, why we love each other like we do? Because we all love Jesus. That's why. We have fellowship, true fellowship together because of what Christ has done for us. In a world that is desperate in confusion and chaos and bitterness and anger, they need to see the fruit of true fellowship. We as a church, broadly speaking, need to work 
on this. Let us enjoy true fellowship together as we look to the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. O Lord, our gracious God, once more we bless and thank you for your word and we marvel once again at the theme that we have actually thought about this morning. Even as we pray to you now, we come to you in the person of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know you. And you know us. Intimately and personally. We thank you for that fellowship that has been established. We thank you for the fact that we can come to you and understand what it is to be satisfied as a human being. We pray that that would increase in us and that you would use us to encourage one another in these things. We pray not only for us here at Riverside, but, O Lord, the church, wherever she is found in our nation, might we come to a fresh understanding of true fellowship. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.